Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Well, turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles. That's over in the Old Testament. You've got Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. So if you'll turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 16, story of Asa, he was a good king, wasn't a great king, he was a good king. There's a few things he did do that were good and righteous, but a few things he didn't do that he should have done. One of the things that he didn't do was to remove altars of worship that weren't to God. Sometimes leadership feels, fears people and doesn't do what God says, but in this particular incident, he had basically hired some armies to come and help him, where before that he had trusted God, and God had actually delivered him from a multitude of, of uh, several armies. And uh, if you do the math, probably almost a million people he was delivered from. But then the Lord, through a prophet, makes this statement in verse 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong, on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Now, that word perfect is a little misleading. It's actually more correct to say a heart that is bent toward him, a heart that is geared toward him, a heart that is, you know, the Bible says of David that he was a man after my own heart. Actually, I was reading a, a, a quote. They quoted that over in the book of Acts in one of the, in one of the messages that the apostle Paul preached about how David was a man after God's own heart. Well, obviously God is constantly on the lookout. You know, the two entities in the spirit realm, one that is for you, one that opposes you, it says of the devil that he goes about as a roaring lion, seeking those he, whom he may devour. So he's seeking, he's looking. Amen. But then the Bible says the eyes of the Lord. Everybody say the eyes of the Lord. They go to and fro over all the earth. And what is God looking for? God is looking for people whose hearts are right toward Him. Now, it's a, it's a process, and it takes time, and we're, we're kind of still staying with the, with the subject of healing. But, you know, with everything that God does supernaturally in your life, He does it for a purpose. Amen. Let me say that again. He does it. He saved you for a purpose. He filled you with the Holy Ghost for a purpose. He joined you to a church for a purpose. He blesses you for a purpose. He heals your body for a purpose. Everything that God does with that which He gives to His children or His people, He does for a purpose. And, and, and there is great benefit to us personally for healing, for prosperity, uh, for joy, for all of the things that God gives, gives us. But the, but the eternal purpose of what, what God is doing in our life has to outweigh the personal purpose. Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And it's literally speaking of the material. It says all these other things will be added to you. And I think many times we're not seeking the kingdom. And when it says to seek the kingdom, we're seeking the ways of God. We're seeking the will of God. We're seeking the protocol of God. We're seeking what God does and how He does it. Amen. Uh, people think so many times that, well, you know, God is not so particular in how He does things. He just wants to get the job done. No, that's the way we are. <laughs> that's the way, you know, like somebody said, well, any means to an end, uh, you know, is good. Well, that's not true. God has specific things that He loves, likes to do in specific ways to get the job done or to release His power and His divine authority in the earth. 
And when we realize that, we have to realize that, that we're dealing with something in our own lives after we're born again. We're still stuck with a mind, with an intellect, with a soul that has to literally be brought under the constraint of the Word of God. If not, your mind and your flesh will always bend you back towards self or selfishness. Amen? I was uh, meditating on some things today out of Genesis chapter uh, 3 because it always fascinates me how uh, God's creation, the man and the woman, uh, within the, the pristine environment of Eden, what, what could that have been like? I mean, that's, that's a cool place. I mean, come on, you know. I mean, uh, no disease, no sorrow, perfect weather, uh, you know, better than Hawaii which has really good weather. You know, every time I got on an airplane coming home in Hawaii, I used to always, Lee and I many times look at each other and say, what are we doing? Why are we going home? <laughs> the weather was so nice. Amen. But in Eden, everything was right. Everything was perfect. And God came down and communed with his creation. The Bible says in the cool of the day. So God was there. Provision was there. Health was there. Blessing was there. And two trees were there. And one tree, you could just go and live under it all you wanted to, the tree of life. But then another tree, you're not supposed to touch the knowledge of the tree, the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, 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 and God said to them, don't, don't, don't touch it, don't go near it, don't, you know, don't eat it, because the day you eat thereof, you're going to die. And then when the enemy came into the garden and attacked him, why does, he, why does he always come and challenge us in the very thing that God tells us to do? Well, it's a, it's a trial of your heart is what it is. The very thing. You know, the, uh, the, there was nothing else. There was no other do's and don'ts and thou shalt nots and this. There was, not, there was just one thing, one thing. That tree over there. Don't get it. Don't eat it. You eat it, you're going to be in big trouble. And then here comes the enemy and begins to challenge the very thing that, the advers that, the, that God said, don't do that. Don't do that. See, the enemy always wants you not to do what God says and to do what he says. And he formulates lies and he does things and he manipulates. He can use your mind. He can use feelings. He can use all kinds of things. And listen, everybody has missed it. If you've not missed it, then, you know, I'm making a mistake by preaching tonight. You need to be up here preaching or we need to be casting lying devils out of you. <laughs> Everyone has missed it. Everyone has made mistakes. Everyone has gotten themselves in trouble. The Bible says we've all missed the mark. But here's the thing. You can miss the mark. You can miss it. But your heart can still stay right, which means restoration will always be yours. But there's people who continually get into, to, to what, how can I say this, patterns of missing it and violating their heart to the point that their heart gets jaded. And once your heart gets jaded, it's amazing how hardened you become. The Bible says in Hebrews, it's the deceitfulness of sin, it will harden you. And that's not talking about, you know, perpetually smoking crack or, or going to pornographic movies. That's literally talking about the sin of unbelief. And unbelief is tied to everything that we do not do when it comes to what God says. Now, this is what you should be doing. You know, you should be reading your Bible. You should be, uh, everybody should be reading their chapter every day. Oh, I ought to get a better amen than that. You should be reading your chapter every day. And when you miss a day, you catch up. And when you know you're going to be busy the next day, you get ahead. Everybody reading your chapter? You say, why do we do that? So we can all stay on the same page. You say, well, is it a sin not to do it? Well, no, it's not necessarily a sin, but it may be a violation of your heart. 
Amen? And, and the enemy, it's amazing how he has ways of stacking things into our lives. When I was in field ministry, many times, listen, in field ministry, you deal with a lot of rejection. Amen? Because there's people, I remember one particular pastor, uh, uh, every time we would run into him, he would say, man, I want you to come to my church. I want you to come to my church. I want you to come to my church. You need to come to my church. You need to come home. I mean, every time we saw him, and he was very adamant about it. And every time we would call him, literally, they wouldn't schedule anything. And so I got to the point where I'd just walk around him. I'd see him at a conference or somewhere. I'd just go walk the other way. I didn't want to listen to it anymore, you know. And he'd come find me. Hey, Pastor. And man, if I was preaching in that conference and preach something, he'd be the first one up there saying how great it was and all this kind of, man, I want you to come to my church. And I remember it got to the point where I thought, if I keep thinking about this thing and I keep suffering under this rejection, it's going to mess with my heart. And so I got to the point where I just let go of it. I said, Lord, I'm just going to put it in your hands. And you know, from that day on, he never said anything again. Never said anything again. It's amazing. You say, what were you doing? I was guarding my heart. And you've got to learn to guard your heart in all of these areas because God, he's up in heaven and he's looking for those whose heart is mature or bending toward his ways. Away from self, away from all of the different things that you want and you desire to do. Uh, away from all of the, how can you say this, the clutter of our material world because I can mess with you. Why don't I have enough stuff? Why isn't my stuff good enough? All that kind of things. But if you will literally begin to work on the heart of God in your heart being intertwined, I guarantee you it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you to weather a lot of things the enemy tries to bring against you. And not only that, that thing becomes, uh, what were we watching the other day? We were watching some show. We were been, uh, went out to dinner together, and, and so we came home and we're just going to relax and watch a television program. And these guys had dived deep down into the ocean, and there was some kind of a laboratory down there, and, and, and they were running out of air, and one of the guys found a, a beacon. And you could, uh, you could put a message in that beacon, and when you let it go and it went up to the surface, any, any uh, what was it, any communication device that was in the area, it would ping off that thing, and you know, like, you know, like your cell phone or a, or, or a Coast Guard cutter or a, or a helicopter flying over, it would ping on their communication system, and you would get the, automatically the, the, the SOS would come. Well, listen, it's your heart that floats to the surface as a beacon, and it, and it starts pinging God's communication system. As he is looking over all the earth to find people he wants to bless, he wants to be compassionate to. He's not judging your acts. He's not judging how intelligent you are. Let me, just, let me say, he's not judging how much you pray, how much you read the Bible, how much money you give. He's judging your heart. He's judging your heart. And when it comes to healing many times, what happens is, is we suffer with pain. I mean, know that pain many times is, is tough to deal with. And not just pain, just being uncomfortable physically. And physical discomfort many times messes with your soul. Amen? 
I mean, your soul starts getting a little weary if you've, every day you get up and the pain is there, every day you get up and symptoms are there, every day you get up and you're thinking, well, I'm supposed to be healed or I'm supposed to, I'm a person of faith. What is going on in my life? What is going on in my body? How can I, how come I cannot cross the barrier from, from I believe I receive till I have it? How, how come I can't cross that barrier? Well, many times don't examine, we, we start looking at our confession, we start looking at what we're actually believing. Don't do that. Go back and become a judge of your own heart. Number one, judge your, judge your pur purpose. Why do I want to be healed? Now, here's the number one thing that we think. I want to be healed so I can feel better. Isn't that right? Come on. But if you have a heart change, you want to be healed because before feeling better, you want God to get glory out of what he has done through Jesus Christ. So your purpose changes. Listen, many times... If your purpose changes, your heart will follow right behind it into the greater things of God. Because many times our purpose is self-geared. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, it's, it's geared to, to, to what's, what I want, how I want to feel, what I want to do, what I want to receive from the Lord. All of those different things, it's kind of geared toward self and not geared toward God. But if you are a true, if you are a true seeker of what? The kingdom of God, which a better translation of that is this. Seek ye therefore the expansion of the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, thank God for everyone that gets healed instantaneously. Well, there was somebody the other day up in the prayer line. Man, the anointing. Oh, it was uh, um, Captain Paul when we prayed for uh, Miss Cindy who was having a, a, a knee replacement surgery. And he said that his back was hurting. And you could see the pain in his face and the anointing. You could see that anointing just wash through him and the relief just come on. Oh, and he was moving and feeling good. Amen? Well, thank God for that. But what if you have to go through a process? What is the purpose of you going through that process? Now, see, here's what we think many times. Well, God has put this into my life to teach me something. That is not true. God has showed up in your life to teach you something to get you out of that. That was going to come into your life anyway. It was going to come anyway. So you need to understand that God has put a process in your life that in the Word of God, God says you need to count this process more precious than gold. And what do we do? We do just the opposite. I'd do anything to get out of this. You know, we start looking for doctors on the Internet, special treatment, all this. Well, that's nothing wrong with that. But you have to understand that that process of faith that God is putting you in to obtain manifestation of healing in your body is more precious. It's the trying of your faith which is more precious than gold. And as you come through that process and get on the other side, you now listen, this, if you get this tonight, this is going to help you. You have outgrown or grown out of the situation. And outgrowing or growing out of a situation is a heart change. Amen? I remember when we were in Bible school and hearing Pastor Doty give her testimony of being healed from, from uh, metastatic cancer of the liver, which the doctors say is the worst kind to have and, and, and is, is very, uh, uh, progresses very quickly. They did not give her years or months. They gave her weeks. Actually gave her six weeks. And they went and prayed, laid on the floor, prayed, believed they received their healing. And then the fight started. You say, what do you mean the fight? The fight of faith, which actually lasted a year. A year of fighting. A year of being sick. Actually, at one point, in the bed of their, of their bedroom, 
the family had to gather in intercession to pray for her for she was literally bleeding out, fixing to die. But they just kept standing, kept rebuking death, kept standing in faith. But what was amazing about that was the testimony of her heart change. She said the first thing she did is she wrote letters to everybody in her family. All of her children, all of their husbands, her own husband, all of anybody, anybody that was in the immediate family, she went and totally judged herself and repented for everything she had ever done. She said, I, people, people would read the letters and said, well, you didn't have to do that. She said, yes, I did. So you don't know many times when God puts a demand upon you uh, to do something to get right with somebody or to, to, to ratify some situation that it's not really the situation being ratified or forgiveness or unforgiveness or what. On your part, it's something God is demanding of you to open the door for your healing or your deliverance. God has spoke to me before to get things right with different people that, that really I should not have taken the initiative to do it because me taking the initiative to do, to do it was perceived by people, you're wrong, you must be wrong. How are you going to overcome that? But if God tells you to do it, you still have to do it. And she talked about getting right with people, getting right, even talking to her own husband and, and saying, you know, I've been sharp here, been doing that. And she said once she got through that phase, then the next phase started of ministry to people. And when it became known that she was willing to go anywhere in Houston and pray for anybody that had cancer, the, the floodgates opened. They pastored a church of 5,000 people. Well, when you're, when you're sick and don't feel good and it's in the evening and you've had a rough day and the phone rings and somebody says, my aunt's in the hospital, my uncle's in the hospital, would you come pray? What do you do then? And she said, every time I would go. Every time I would go. But every time that she went, her heart was changing more and more and more to come to the place in which after a year they couldn't find any cancer in her body. She went through the process of a heart change. Amen? So we must realize as we seek the kingdom of God and believe God, whether it be for healing or prosperity or things in our ministry or breath, whatever it is, going through that process is designed by God to bend your heart closer to Him because He's going throughout all the earth and looking for those. He wants to be strong on behalf of those whose hearts are right toward Him. Now one more scripture real, real quick and we'll, leave, and we'll take communion. Uh, go to Romans kind of ties with this. Romans chapter 10. We've looked at this before, but I think it ties to this here. Uh, just go ahead and look at verse 10. It says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord, now notice this, the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. Now, I like it in the Amplified. He says, no one, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord over all, over all of us. He generously bestows His riches upon all who call upon Him in faith. Now, we either believe that or we don't. Number one, God is rich. He's rich in healing. He's rich in deliverance. He's rich in encouragement. 
He's rich in revelation. That means he has abundance of it to give. And who's he rich toward? He's toward all who call upon his name. Amen. So many times we call upon his name. We call upon the Lord. Healing, prosperity, blessing, breakthrough. And we do not see immediate manifestations of that which we're believing God for. And automatically, uh, here comes the flood. You're not praying enough. It's your confession. It's this, which automatically flips you into works. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against prayer. I pray. Every, every day I pray. Every week, all week long I pray. I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. But that's not a work. You can always tell when something's a work in someone's life is they always tell you how much they do it. I go to every service. I read my Bible three hours a day. I pray two hours a day. That's a work. You say, what? Because you're measuring it. When you, go to, when you go to your job, what do you do if you're paid by the hour? You measure it. I mean, you go in with your paycheck and they say, you only paid me for 22 hours. You say, well, you know, we really don't measure around here. We're just glad you showed up during the week. Here's your money. You're going to go, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's the clock I punched in on over here. I worked eight hours on Monday, eight hours on Tuesday, eight hours on Wednesday, eight hours on Thursday, eight hours on Friday. That's 40 hours. Where's my 40 hours? Well, that really don't matter, you know. We're not involved in works around here. No, there are certain things that your works need to be measured. But listen, when you begin to measure your works in Christ, you depart from grace and step into legalism. And when you don't measure up to your works, you're always going to be condemned. Double get in your mind. You didn't pray enough. That's why you're not healed. You didn't pray enough. That's why you're not prosperous. You didn't get enough. You should have gave everything. Isn't it amazing how when the enemy attacks you financially, when he attacks you financially, he'll, he'll, he'll do everything he can do to stop you in an offering from giving. And then when there's a manifestation of his attack against your finances, he always accuses you of not giving enough money. How many of you ever experienced that? That's exactly how he works. And you must understand the enemy is it's the same with everything the enemy does. He wants to get you out of the grace of God and over into the legalism of your own works. Well, I deserve this. I need this. This, this should be mine. I have prayed. I have believed God. I took communion. I even took two wafers. <laughs> if that means anything, you know. No, no, no. That doesn't mean anything. Because your faith is not in your works. Your faith is in what God has said. Not in, how you're, not in how you have taken what He has said and made application of it to your life. So many times in my own life, I felt so unprepared for that which I had to do. So unprepared. But what I did was step under the grace of God and allowed the grace of God to work in me and through me to bless the people. Because I tell you, you get in ministry situations and you'll stand up and the minister get, uh, devil get right in here and say, oh, you should have prayed a lot more for this. I mean, I ended up in Africa in a minister's conference with thousands of ministers there. I get up on the first one and the Lord would have said, well, if you'd have, I mean, the devil said, well, if you'd have just paid attention to God and what he was trying to tell you about coming to Africa, you'd have been interceding for three weeks. 
Well, I, I told the enemy, I said, I didn't come over here because of intercession. I came over here because of obedience. And when I was ever to, able to reject the attack of the enemy, you know what I found? I found the riches of God. The supply I needed to gather from heaven, to gather from the, own, from the gift that God has placed in me, to gather from the revelation that's in my own memory, and to feed to all those wonderful African pastors. And they shouted and danced, and we had a great time. And who got the glory? God did. Amen? God did. And we must realize that as we call upon Him for His riches to be, be bestowed in our life, it is still an act of His abundant mercy and grace toward us that anything gets into our lives, including salvation. Amen? And if our response to that is to go into some kind of legalistic, I deserve this, what we are doing is we are transferring that which faith produces in us to our own lives, and that is works that are not the works of faith. Those are the works of legalism. I call it faith in what you're doing instead of faith in the Word of God. Amen? Well, if you will cleanse yourself of that, and get that out of your life and recognize and realize all of the things that God has given us by grace to do, the study of the Word, coming to church, our praise and worship, our prayer, is not something we have to do. It's something that we get to do. And all of it is designed to bring us into a greater relationship through fellowship. Amen? You say, what do you mean by that? As we fellowship with Jesus, the Savior, the relationship with God grows stronger and stronger, and God has given us the entity, the person and power of the Holy Ghost to help us in that. As He helps us in that, we become, now this is the problem, we become more and more dependent upon the ability and revelation of the Word and dependent upon the ability of the Holy Ghost to be our which is totally opposite of our human nature, which I don't need nobody to help me. I don't need any help. I can do this all on my own, which you can't do it. You can't do it. You have flesh. You have a mind. The spirit realm is an unknown place to you. It is a place of, 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 of great power, great authority. It's also a place of great deception. Because you have an adversary in that realm. You've got demonic entities in that realm. You've got all kinds of stuff. And if you don't go, if you don't go into that realm with some help, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. But God is what? He's rich. He's rich to heal you, to bless you, to set you free, to show you your own calling and destiny, to do whatever you need him to do and whoever you need him to be in your life. That's why it says in Hebrews that, that, that those that come to him must believe that he is. And actually, if you study that scripture, where is that? Hebrews eleven six. Those that come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligent. Well, it doesn't mean that faith empowers you to believe there is a God. Because you can go out into the world and you can find people that will tell you there's a God. Yeah, there's a God, but they don't believe. They don't have any faith. The true scripture, the true Greek 
uh, 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 if you take and dissect it, several other translations say it better than the King James. But literally it says this, that faith empowers you to believe God is the God you need Him to be. See, when you needed Him to be Savior, who was He? The Savior. When you needed Him to be Healer, well, who was He? When you needed Him to be uh, Jehovah Jireh, who was He? He was Jehovah Jireh. It empowers you to believe that God is the specific entity that you need Him to be at the specific time and place. The Bible says He is a what? He is a rewarder. When you study the word reward, it's void of earning. A reward is a reward. Amen? And then when you figure that out and you get down a few years of serving God and you get all these blessings in your life and you look back, you just kind of shake your head and you go, man. I mean, every person I've ever met, every ministry I've ever seen that has ever bragged on themselves about how strong they were in faith, about how, how, how powerful their prayer life was, about how uh, uh, important their vision was, every one of them that I've ever seen has fallen. Because all their bragging was on themselves. I mean, if you were to come around here and say, well, pastor, you know, uh, 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 God has blessed this church. I've got a beautiful piece of land worth, worth hundreds of thousands, over a million dollars. You've got uh, plans made up, ready to build. You're, you're helping affect nations all over the world. You know what I would say to them? I'd say, God's been so merciful. God has been so merciful. He's been so kind to us. Because if we were left to do it for ourselves, we would have made a big mess out of the whole thing. But God has been merciful. For all these years, God has been so merciful to us. So, oh, aren't you people of great faith? I'd say, no, we're not people of great faith. We're people of a great God. And in our attempt to obey Him, He's had so much mercy over us. He's had so much compassion toward us. He's been so kind to us. And there's one thing we've discovered here at Island Church is that God is a good God. And when it comes to measure our faith, we have no measuring stick for that because we're using all of our measuring sticks to measure the love and the compassion and to find out what is the breadth, length, depth, and height that we might know the love of Christ which passes our ability to understand it. And when you do that, you stay safe. You stay out of the realm of ego. You don't become competitive. You keep your compassion, your heart right. And as long as your heart is that beacon that floats to the top and is sending out that signal and God is looking at all the beacons of the earth that are crying out to Him and He finds in you the right heart, then the door opens for you to call upon His name and recognize and realize He is rich unto you because you have called upon His name. He's fixing to pull out of His riches and give it to you. Amen? Hallelujah. Lift your hands and thank the Lord. Father, we thank You. Thank you for your grace and your mercy toward us. Thank you for your goodness, for that which you are doing in us and through us, Father. We love you so much, and we do thank you for being so compassionate and so merciful toward us. For we've made so many mistakes, missed the mark so many times, but you've always been so quick to restore and to bless us, and we thank you for it. Gentlemen, you can come and begin to take the communion implements and pass them out. We invite everyone here. If you're born again, you're more than welcome to receive communion with us tonight. You say, Pastor, I, I'm not a member of this church. That's okay. You're a member of the body of Christ. And because you're a member of the body of Christ, you are available 
for communion. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Brother Bobby. Let me read over here. Let me get over here real quick. First Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read here for just a moment, and then we'll go back and look at it. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do ye in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, or in an unworthy manner, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man or a woman examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So every time we receive communion is your opportunity for self-examination. Amen. God wants to develop in every one of us a kind, compassionate heart. Amen. He wants to remove suspicion and criticism and all the different things that try to separate us. And He wants to enhance the love and mercy and grace we should have one toward another another, because that's what unites us. Love is what unites us. Grace is what unites us. Mercy is what unites us. But we can't be critical. We can't be judgmental. Judgment is yours in one area and one area alone. That's in you judging yourself. I mean, Lee and I will be married 33 years in this year, 2019, but I've never judged her. I've always judged myself. Others in my life, I don't bring judgment because I know it doesn't work. What good does it do to judge someone else? Have you ever benefited by it? <laughs> you haven't. Amen. But self-examination. How can I be better? How can I love more? How can I get closer to the Lord? How can grace work even stronger in my life? How can I be a better help, a better servant in the kingdom of God? All of these different things are things that help mold your heart into the right heart toward God. Amen. Let a man or a woman examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup in reference to the scripture above. This is the way you take communion worthily. So it means when we're not examining ourselves, when we're not judging ourselves, that is the unworthy man. Because in the Corinthian church, they had turned communion into a feast and a festival in which they would come in and bring all the rich folks and sit them at the right places and all the poor folks had to stand in the back. And so the Apostle Paul brought an apostolic judgment, which he had the right to do against that, but he used revelation knowledge, Scripture. That's why it's recorded in the book of 1 Corinthians. And he said, you guys, what you're doing is when people walk in, number one, you're looking at how they're dressed. And if they're dressed in beautiful robes and they've got on nice jewelry, you judge them as rich and you set them in high places. But if they're dressed in rags, you judge them in poor and you tell them to stand in. He says, that's an unworthy man. 
because you're not allowed to judge a person by the color of their skin, the cut of their clothes, how they wear their hair. No. God looks at the heart. He judges the intent of the heart. So when it comes to examining those around you, you're disqualified. Let me say that again. When it comes to examining those around you, you and I are disqualified. Who makes that examination? God does. But when it comes to examining ourselves, we are qualified. Amen? So therefore, examine yourself. Now notice, it takes it a little further. It says, for this cause... Oh, no, no, here we go, verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep or die prematurely. Now... Have you ever noticed how all the organs of your body, they're separate organs, but they work together? I mean, the main one is what? Your blood pump. I mean, you know, there's, I guess you can, you can live without a kidney, can't you? Yeah, uh, yeah because people give it and uh, transplant, things like that. I, I've heard even now that they can do things with your liver where they cut pieces of other people's livers fix your liver up and, do, and you can get a heart transplant you can get a lung transplant I mean there's all kinds of things they can do but although each and every organ is independent of, independent of itself they're all dependent one, one on another your liver needs your heart needs your lungs needs your kidneys needs your stomach and they all need your brain the same is true of the body of Christ we are all part of one body independent but dependent do you get that you say what does that mean you need me you need a pastor you need pastors but I need you and because of that when we come together in righteousness God can cause it to work in coordination with one another to bring unity to the body and anytime there's unity in the body there's health amen this is for this cause Many cannot get healed. And for this cause, many die prematurely. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So, the judgment that you place on others, reserve it for yourself. Amen? And if you will do that, because what, what happens many times, I don't know how we're getting off on this, but this is good, is we view things based on our own spirituality. And when others around us do not live up to our expectation of their spirituality, we judge them. Well, so-and-so doesn't pray enough. I never see them at prayer. So-and-so doesn't come to church enough. I never see them at church. So-and-so doesn't this. So-and-so. So instead of looking inward, we're looking outward. Well, whoever so-and-so is, you need to forget about them. Judge your own prayer life. Judge your own study life. Judge your own church. Judge everything about yourself and leave everybody else alone. And if you will do that, then you will have peace and you will live under grace. But the moment you step outside that and you begin to say things like, well, this person doesn't do that, and this person doesn't do this, and this person do that, do that, do this, and that. I, listen, I was around some ministers back in the early 90s that I'm telling, they didn't pray. I was in a prayer conference and heard one of them say this, I never pray. I literally heard them say that. I thought to myself, 
I mean, that's what they said. I never, I never pray. Well, you know, I pray at the meal and, and sometimes I'll pray before a servant. Now, this is a tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled, successful pastor that said that. And I watched their life. And they're still pastoring today. A successful church. And I still don't know if they pray. Maybe prayer's not their thing. Maybe it's something else that is their thing. Because they're a, if you've ever heard this person preach, they're very studious of the word. I mean, they'll take a word and they'll go into the Greek and they'll go into the Greek linear and they'll go, I mean, they just, it just, they just, that's their thing. So you never know what a person's thing is that draws them close to God. So we judge ourselves. And as we receive communion, we look inward, not outward. And I'd like to say it like this. We look up for information and inspiration so that we, we can look in for examination. Now let me say that again. We look up for the information and the inspiration to do it. Then we look in for examination. So as we receive communion tonight, that's what we'll do. Amen? So let's start with the bread. I need a, I need a, uh, a cup. Are they over here? Y'all forgot me. Everybody get served. Everybody but me. I've got it. Everybody else served? Anybody need anything? Everybody good? Praise God. Now close your eyes. Close your eyes and let me read. Verse 24, And when he had given thanks, he break it, speaking of the bread. So take and break the bread. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do ye in remembrance of me. His body was tortured and broken for you. He is the bread of life. He gave His life and He suffered as we studied this morning in the Word of God to accumulate all of that that's wrong with us. The great redemptive transfer. His health for our sickness. His life for our death. His poverty for our... His, his prosperity for our poverty. His joy for our depression. All of the things that He's given us. We ought to be so thankful for it. So examine yourself this evening as you receive of the bread in the name of Jesus. It says, after the same manner also he took the cup. When he had subbed, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. We're going to have to take a service and we probably will during our redemptive teaching and talk just about the blood. About the blood, the Bible says the life is in the blood. His life is in His blood. It's not a theological theory. It's a redemptive reality that the blood of Jesus has been applied to your life. And in the same measure of redemptive forgiveness that God has given you. And the grace He's bestowed upon you, we take that and we bestow it upon others. Don't hold on to anything. Grudges. No matter how bad you've been treated or what has been done, let the blood of Jesus cleanse you from that. No matter how you've been disappointed, no matter what in your life has caused you, caused you to even be disappointed, just, just let the blood cleanse you of anything in your life or your heart that has to do with other people so that your heart can be pure and you can walk in love one toward another. 
In the name of Jesus and in honor of his blood tonight, receive of the cup. Hallelujah. Father, we bless your name. We thank you tonight. As we have received, received communion, we thank you, Father. We've done it in a worthy manner. Not judging one another. Not judging the nation, the state. Not judging politicians. But just judging ourselves. Examining our own hearts. We thank you, Father, that you're rich to all that call upon your name tonight. That your eyes go to and fro over all the earth. Seeking for someone you can be strong on their behalf. I thank you that you'll find that someone in us. Right here at Island Church. We thank you for it. Lord, as we leave tonight, as many of us will go back and enjoy fellowship together, we thank you for our food. We call it blessed. Thanking you, you've blessed our bread, our water. You've taken all sickness from the midst of us. As the week begins to roll out in front of us, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, thank you that you return us here on Wednesday night with great expectation of revelation knowledge coming forth from your word as the flock of God is fed from your word. Lord, we thank you for the protection and safety afforded us both in our travels and in the righteous labor of our hands. For you are the God that protects us, the God who surrounds us with angelic hosts. Truly no evil shall befall us. No plague shall come to our dwelling place. And we thank you, Father, for even the protection from the diseases that are rampant at this time of the year, the flus, the colds, the exposure uh, uh, maladies that come upon men and women because of the changes in temperature, the volume of the wind. Thank you, Father, we walk in divine health because of that which you've given us in Christ. Father, we thank you for the door of utterance. Let us lay hands. Let us be ministers of reconciliation. Let us be ministers of restoration. Let us be ministers of encouragement as we leave this place tonight. Thank you, Father, as we leave tonight. We walk in faith and love towards you. Your love is so awesome. We walk in love toward one another. Thanking you, Father, for Island Church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you have called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy God bless you. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah.